0: Africa. Welcome to Daybreak Africa from the Voice of America. I am James Butter in Washington. Today is Thursday, September 29th. And here are some of the stories we are covering. Uganda's president addresses the nation on the Ebola virus.
1: I call upon the public to cooperate with the healthcare workers and report anybody with signs and symptoms similar to that to those of, of Ebola.
0: Doctors Without Borders seek humanitarian aid for malnourished children in northwest Nigeria. The Ukrainian Association of South Africa criticizes the ruling ANC Youth League for endorsing Russia's referendum. Kenyan opposition leader Raila Odinga calls for international investigation into the death of a lawyer. Mr. Boucherou's death
2: happened under mysterious and unexplained circumstances. So we felt very strongly that um, it was important for us to call for an impartial investigation.
0: And Uganda will hold its third oil block licensing by next year. Those stories and more are coming up on Daybreak Africa. Ugandan President Yoweri Museveni says he will not introduce lockdown measures to control the spread of the Ebola virus. He says the country will use past experiences to eradicate the deadly disease. President Museveni promised to provide health workers with equipment to safely execute their duties. Reporter Mugumi davis
3: Rakarinji has
0: more from Kampala.
3: Ugandan President Yoweri Kabuta Museveni addressed the nation Wednesday evening on matters concerning the Ebola outbreak that was announced in the country last week. President Msevin said the deadly virus has been confirmed in three districts of Mubende, Cassandra and Chegegua.
1: So the case is 24 confirmed, five dead. Six health workers, four doctors, one anesthetist and and one medical uh, student have tested positive to Ebola and are being managed at Mbende and Fort Potro referral hospitals. He called for calm among citizens and said the situation is under control. This disease doesn't need those big measures of closing and restricting movement. Our health workers will do all it takes to save lives and bring the situation under control. I call upon the public to cooperate with the healthcare workers and report anybody with signs and symptoms similar to that, to to those of, of Ebola. Ebola is a highly infectious and often fatal disease marked
3: by fever and severe internal bleeding. Initial symptoms may also include headache, muscle pain, and chills. A person with Ebola virus may experience internal bleeding, resulting in vomiting or coughing blood. An infected person may also experience a loss of appetite, malaise, diarrhea, and sweating that have been caused by health practitioners. To quarantine those who are stricken. Dr. Odongo Emmanuel Eledu, the head of the Uganda Medical Association, told reporters last week that he worries the virus could be spread to many parts of the country. He also called on the government to provide health workers with the necessary protection gear. Jane Ruther Cheng is Uganda's Minister of Health. She's encouraging doctors to do their work, to save lives.
4: To also allay anxiety of our health workers, because some health workers are infected. We want to appreciate the work that they are doing, but also reassure them that they will be taken care of and given the necessary supportive care and treatment so that we ensure that we don't lose them.
3: There have been six outbreaks of Ebola in Uganda, including a large one in the year 2000, which claimed 224 lives. There is at this time no vaccine for the current Sudan strain of the virus. For VOA News, I am Mugume, Davis Rwakarindi ni Kampala, Uganda.
0: In Kenya, Raila Odinga, the main challenger in the country's August 9th presidential election, has called for an international investigation into the death of lawyer Paul Jicheru. Jicheru, 52, died on Monday at his home in Nairobi. He was on trial at the International Criminal Court for witness tampering relating to the 2007-2008 post-election violence in Kenya, involving then-deputy President William Ruto and journalist Joshua arab the case against Ruto and Sang was dismissed in 2016. Professor Makau Mutua is Odinga's presidential campaign secretary of spokesperson. He tells me that a foreign investigation into Jicharu's death is necessary because of its international implications. We
2: are concerned every time a witness or a person who is connected to the Kenyan cases at the International Criminal Courts ever disappears, or doubt. There's a pattern over the last, I should say, fourteen years of witnesses disappearing or being forced to recant their testimony or deciding that they will not appear to give their testimony against the MITs. This is a great threat to the administration of justice, but also a great threat to justice to the victims of that very horrible period in Kenya's history. Mr. Besheru's death happened under mysterious and unexplained circumstances. So we felt very strongly that um, it was important for us to call for an impartial investigation of the sudden death of Mr. Besheru, whose case at the ICC is connected to the case against the current head of state in
0: Kenya. Mr. Odinga's call for international investigation suggests uh, perhaps he does not trust the Kenyan police and maybe also that there is some partiality that you suspect.
2: It's not a question of trust or lack of trust. It is simply that, um, you know, the track record of um, the investigations of the individuals' appearances or or even the deaths of um, individuals connected to the ICC have never bought a in Kenya. The Kenyan investigative agencies have never really found anyone culpable that they could have charged with these offenses. You probably know that uh, the ICC identified a number of Kenyans who are involved in attempts to subvert investigations and uh, issued warrants of arrest the for them. I believe there are three such individuals. Mr. Bashir was one of them. None of these um, individuals were ever brought to account by the Kenyan government. So we feel very strongly that the um, investigation is left just to the government of Kenya calling out their energy. So we'd like very much to ask uh, international agencies, including in the to get involved uh, so that there can be some impartiality into these investigations.
0: Mr. Mutua, let me ask you because some people might be thinking, okay, Mr. Ruto just defeated Mr. Odinga in the election, and so perhaps is he doing this as a payback against Mr. Ruto for defeating him? People might be thinking that way too.
2: So we don't to control what people think. What, however, we can control is proper interpretation of our history. Mr. Odinga has always stood for justice and fair play on the rule of law. This is not the first time that Mr. Odinga is speaking out about investigations concerning the ICC. So there's nothing new here. Secondly, I think we do not concede your characterization of what happened in the just concluded elections. You say that Mr. Ruto has defeated Mr. Odinga. In our view, the elections of 2022, August 9, remain indeterminate. And the And we shall be saying no about
0: that in the coming days. Mr. Mutua, it's a pleasure speaking with you. Thank you so much for speaking with us. Thank you so much. Professor Makau Mutua is the spokesperson for Raila Odinga's presidential campaign secretariat. He was speaking with us from Nairobi, Kenya. The long awaited trial of the alleged perpetrators of gaining's so called September 28, 2009 massacre got underway yesterday, Wednesday. On that day, Guinean security forces fired on opposition protesters in a stadium, killing more than 150 people. They were protesting Captain Musa Dadis Kamara's intentions to run for president. Kamara seized power in 2008. In a surprise move, an appeals court late Tuesday ordered Captain Musa Dadis and five other defendants jailed. Elise Kepler is associate director of the International Justice Program at the U.S.-based Human Rights Watch. She is in Kunakuri to observe the trial. She tells me that the first day was incredible with a whole host of international observers, including the International Criminal Court, attending the trial.
5: The day opened up with a series of speeches inaugurating the courthouse for the trial and the decision to go forward with the opening. The International Criminal Court prosecutor was there, the UN Special Representative on Sexual Violence and Armed Conflict, the Minister of Justice, all attesting to uh, the importance of this trial, the need for it to be fair and um, transparent, the need for victims to be able to participate, for the accused to be there, and uh, a well-packed area watching these important speeches. The courthouse was open to victims to enter first, I believe, after the lawyers, but before the general public. um, An area in the second floor, the balcony, has been reserved for victims of the crime. Some hundred people were sitting on that balcony looking on, and you could just see this long line of people moving into the courtroom to watch the scene unfold. After some time, the accused were brought in. It's a little unclear whether it's 11 or 12 accused. I think there are 12 accused, but only 11 were present. And they include now um, several really high-level figures who have been taking attention in the past few days. Former President Musa Dadis Kamara, Tia Boro, and Claude PV, former minister. So quite high-level people, and it was a sight to behold.
0: You mentioned the former head of state, Musa Dadis Kamara. Did you take the stand?
5: Well, I guess it depends on how you define take the stand. I don't. I don't think you could say really anyone has taken the stand yet. But what happened was that each accused was—they asked all of them to come up, sit in front of the judges, and they got some basic information from each one, and then made sure that which language they were okay to be um, spoken to. So French, I think, was for all of them, and then also asked if they had legal counsel. And from what I understand, a couple of them did not, and those lawyers will be provided. There was also a debate between the defense and the victims' lawyers and the prosecutor about whether or not the video could be taken and photos could be taken. And it was quite interesting to see that the victims' lawyers said, you know, even though we're, we're the ones subjected to these crimes and we could have concern about it being public, we want this trial to be public. It has to be public. Ultimately, the decision was made that media can fully cover this in case they can take video, audio. Um, and it is being broadcast, as far as I understand it, in its entirety on Guinean television.
0: As you know, uh, Elise, uh, there was a major development late Tuesday about Musa Dadi Kamara and others yep. being sent to jail. What's the reaction there in Guinea?
5: Well, I think there's a lot of um, interest in the idea that the status and J. Borough MPV could, could be taken into custody for so long they were not. And it was questioned what the message was with that. Of course, there's a presumption of innocence and detention does not contravene that presumption. But often there are arrest warrants and um, detentions for people as they face trial of serious crimes, including because there could be flights. So it'll be important to hear what the lawyers' arguments are. Of course,
0: the message of this trial cannot be overstated. If you look all around Africa, where there have been wars or civil wars, the issue of accountability is looming all over Africa.
5: What we need to see here is credible, transparent proceedings where victims can participate, where it's a genuine effort at accountability, and that can make its contribution to building respect for rule of law and the idea that these crimes will not be tolerated in Africa. We also look to um, this regime to address the human rights abuses that are going on in the country. This trial is happening in a very complicated, um, difficult time for Guinea, a promised quick transition back to democratic rule after the coup d'etat has not happened. So we look to the government to uh, increase respect for rights, uh, have those reforms in place, and to advance credible justice for these crimes, which can truly send a message across West Africa, Africa, and beyond about holding perpetrators to account.
3: Elise,
0: thank you so much again. It's a pleasure speaking with you.
5: Thank you so much. Take good care.
0: Elise Kepler is Associate Director of the International Justice Program at the U.S.-based Human Rights Watch. She was speaking with us from Guinea's capital, Conakry. listening Today, Break Africa on the Voice of America. Hi, I'm James Barty in Washington. Today is Thursday, September 29. We invite you to check out our website, voaafrica.com, or find us on Twitter and Facebook for more Africa coverage. The medical aid group Doctors Without Borders has called on the United Nations to add Northwest Nigeria to its humanitarian response plan due to high numbers of children suffering from malnutrition. The group, known by its French abbreviation MSF, says it has treated nearly 100,000 children in the region for malnutrition this year. Timothy Obiezu reports from Abuja, Nigeria.
6: In a Communicate Tuesday, MSF warned that malnutrition among children in northwest Nigeria is at catastrophic levels and called for an immediate response from the global humanitarian community. MSF even proposed that northwest Nigeria be included in the UN's annual humanitarian response plan. It's the second time in three months that the medical aid group has raised serious concerns about the malnutrition crisis in Nigeria, following an alarm about northeast nigeria in july northwest nigeria has been hard hit by militant attacks and raids by kidnapped for ransom gangs since late 2020 msf also says climate change and soaring food prices have made matters worse Fruke Pelsma is MSF's head of mission
7: in Nigeria.
4: We have scaled our response. We are almost at the limit, basically, because we cannot handle this alone. This is why we're asking for more people to come. There are now over 30 organizations in the Northeast. while we are around uh, three or four agencies in the Northwest working on malnutrition. We want people and especially the UN and other NGOs, to look beyond the Northeast.
6: MSF said it has admitted 17,000 children into 10 feeding centers across five states in the region. Zamfra State has been the most impacted, with a 64% increase in the number of severely malnourished children this year, compared to 2021.
4: We are working now in Kabi, Sokoto, samfara katsina and in Kanos, but we are still also very much afraid and are pretty sure that we only see the top of the iceberg we can say our numbers but that doesn't mean that that covers the whole issue because we cannot be in every location
6: for years humanitarian responses have been centered around northeastern states especially bornu yobe and adamawa where the militant group Boko Ram has been active since 2009. This week, top officials of the UN Food and Agricultural Organization met in the capital to highlight problems of food security with the goal of strengthening responses using agriculture. Fred Kafiro is the FAO representative in Nigeria.
3: There's a lot to be done. This is
0: a country where we have quite a big segment Uh, geographically that is affected by different forms of conflict.
3: But how do we intervene in terms of strengthening and responding to that humanitarian emergency and moving towards resilience, building, much of our work is also looking at the root causes and trying to strengthen and building sustainability in the process.
6: MSF Wednesday will take part in the high-level humanitarian coordination team meeting with top officials of the United Nations. Timothy Yubiezu for VOA News, Abuja, Nigeria.
0: The Youth League of South Africa's ruling African National Congress Party, the ANC, has endorsed Russia's referendums in occupied parts of Ukraine, which are designed to pave the way for Moscow to annex the territories. The endorsement came after members of the group accepted invitations from Moscow to act as international observers of the Kremlin orchestrated votes. The Ukrainian Association of South Africa says it is disappointed in the Youth League's stance while the ANC itself is remaining silent on the issue. Veki Stock reports from Cape Town.
8: Youth League Subcommittee on International Relations, Kolekane Skusana, has commended Russian President Vladimir Putin on Twitter. Skusana posted a clip of his interview with the South African Broadcasting Corporation.
3: We stand in solidarity with all the oppressed people of the world. It's not just in Donbass. We stand with people of Palestine, Western Sahara. We will always stand with those who are oppressed and those who don't have anyone to defend them. The revolution will not be televised. That's why we went to, to see for ourselves as young people of the, of the liberation movement of President Nelson
8: Mandela. The president of the Ukrainian Association of South Africa, Zvenka Kachur, says the Youth League members are simply being used by Russia to try to legitimise a process that falls far short of international laws on referendums. Moscow has released vote tallies showing support in all four regions where the referendum was held for five days, beginning September 23. But Svinka says this is a lie because Russia doesn't control all of these areas.
4: Yes, they may be controlling almost Completely, the territory of one region of Luhansk, but they don't control Donetsk. They don't control the parisia and they definitely don't control Kherson region.
8: She said they've heard the international media reports of Russian soldiers going door to door to get people to vote at gunpoint.
4: A lot of our community members have uh, their relatives that uh, are still at the uh, occupied territories. That we understand people being uh, tortured and how people
8: are hiding. Trinka added that the Ukrainian Association is disappointed in the ANC government for not reacting to the Youth League's statements. The government has repeatedly said it is neutral in this conflict, but the Ukrainian Association says Kosana's comments are anything but.
4: As the uh, ANC Youth League is uh, connected to the ANC government. If uh, the government is supporting that uh, silently, I think it's a big challenge for South African democracy and for all South Africans living in this country, because it says that uh, the ruling party does not understand what democracy
8: is. Requests for comment from the ANC's main body went unanswered. The party's spokesperson, Pule Mabe, simply sent two text messages saying, may I please revert back. Political analyst Ralph Mateka says he is perplexed. It is very strange that the NC
3: Youth League could actually send observers to Russia on on a very controversial referendum. Actually, a referendum that has been referred to as a sham referendum by, by by the global community. So, for the NC Youth League to be sending members there. It is very strange. I don't know what
8: exactly does the Youth League aim to achieve. I don't know whether this will give them traction in South Africa's politics. Mateka says he wonders who paid for the trip and whether the decision to go was taken within the ANC and where the decision was taken. Reuters reports that the United States is preparing a new round of sanctions to punish Russia for the annexation move and a $1.1 billion arms package for Ukraine that will be announced soon. Vicky Stark for VOA News, Cape Town, South Africa.
0: Uganda's energy minister said Tuesday this week that the country will hold its third oil block licensing by next year as Uganda seeks to develop its petroleum sector in a bid to expand its economy. Reuters News Agency reports Uganda's Minister of Energy and Mineral Development Ruth Nankabiwa Sentamu told an oil and gas conference in the capital Kampala that the measure is part of a strategy to exploit the oil and gas resources in A sustainable manner. Milton Alimandi is the publisher and owner of the Black Star News in New York. He tells viewers Douglas Mpunga that despite Uganda's protestations, it might be difficult to get funding for the oil projects.
7: Well, I think, obviously, for the Ugandan uh, regime of General Yoweri Museveni, it's a significant blow because it was a unanimous voice of the European Parliament, and that sends a very strong signal to the financial community. As you know, uh, there has been a global campaign, Stop the East African Crude Oil Pipeline, ECOP, and it has intensified in the past two years. And obviously, the European Parliament has been paying attention so that this uh, resolution did not just come out of nowhere. And the protest has been focused on some of the issues. In fact, every issue that was brought up in the protest has been contained in the European Parliament's resolution. Human rights abuse by the government of Uganda, the potential displacement of over 100,000 people by the proposed oil pipeline, emissions, carbon emissions, and the resolution also noticed that the uh, International Energy Agency has said that in order to control the increase of temperature by 1.5 degrees Celsius annually, all new oil-related projects should come to a halt.
0: Milton Alemandi is the publisher and owner of the Black Star News in New York. He spoke with viewers Douglas Mpunga from New York City. And that's it for this Thursday, September 29th edition of Daybreak Africa. On behalf of the Daybreak Africa team, I am James Barton, Washington, saying, Have a great day, and please.